And now, Spotlight Montana with Laurel Staples. As the war between Russia and Ukraine intensifies, in this Spotlight Montana, we hear from Associate Professor Clint Walker of UM's Department of World Languages and Cultures. He shares new insight and perspective on the conflict and Russian President Vladimir Putin, along with some of the history leading up to it and its impact. We also talk about his experience living in Russia and what it's been like for his students. Again, thank you for doing this. Um, you know, a lot going on as of today. Russia intensifying its attack in Ukraine. Uh, I guess let's let's uh, start off with your reaction to everything that's going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is all horrible. I mean, this is, really is a, it's a tragedy. It's uh, shouldn't be happening. It's it's uh, Putin has uh, tried to call it us us. Special operate special military operation is his characterization for it because he's trying to avoid using the term war. It's very clearly war warfare. It's invasion of a, a sovereign state. Um, so I, I feel horrible for Ukrainians, and um, I am very proud of uh, Volodymyr Zelensky and everything he's doing. He's so brave, and he's such a great image of a, a modern young leader and so good for for ukraine um you know ukraine's been a, a sovereign country now since uh, what, august 24th is their independence day august 24th 1991 and so three decades so over three decades now uh ukraine has been a sovereign state and um Putin has tried very hard to try to, to, in different periods and in many different ways, to try to keep Ukraine um, under his, um, if not total control, at least um, semi-control. Well, what led to this point? The Soviets created East Germany on October 7th. And, um, and it's so strange because October 7th happens to be the day Vladimir Putin was born in 1952. So his birthday is on the same exact date as the, you know, the anniversary for the creation of East Germany. And then, you know, he ends up being stationed there uh, in, in the KGB, right? And he's in East Germany when the wall falls, right? And um, he's brought home. Uh, and um, he was born in Leningrad, right? When it was, and so um, he has really strong feelings about, you know, he grew up in the aftermath of World War II. And, uh, you know, 20 to 30 million Soviet people were killed in that war. And um, there was, you know, the 900 day siege of, of Leningrad where almost a million people starved to death. One of those people who starved to death was, would have been Vladimir Putin's older brother. So you can imagine, I mean, he grew up with, in this country, uh, great empire, right, the Soviet Union, but also, you know, complete devastation after World War II with those 20 to 30 million casualties and then lots of children without parents, and especially a lot of fatherless families. And, um, and it was really hard, right? And the, the whole country was devastated from the bombing and the attacks and um, in the siege, the Leningrad siege. And so all that's, that's, you know, that made Putin in some ways, right? That all forms him. And so his whole relation to World War II and war and, um, you know, Soviet 
empire, it's, it's all related to that. Uh, the Berlin Wall fell, and then the Soviet Union, right, so the Berlin Wall falls, Putin, 89, Putin's brought back, and December 5th, 1991, the Soviet Union collapses, or, or Gorbachev officially announces on TV that he's stepping down as the first and last president of the Soviet Union, and it officially dissolves, right? And um, Putin ends up um, becoming uh, involved in local politics. His city of Leningrad is renamed in 91 also to its historical name of St. Petersburg, right? And so it's his home city, and he's very proud of that. And um, he gets involved in local politics, works his way up, becomes basically like a vice mayor in St. Petersburg under a very democratic um, uh, governor or mayor of Peter, St. Petersburg, uh, Anatoly Subchak. And, but Subchak loses re-election and then Putin re, 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 shifts to Moscow, becomes, uh, you know, slowly working his way up in Moscow. He's not that well known, but I'll, a lot of connections through the, the, the KGB and becomes put in charge of the Chechen war under Yeltsin and dealing with the terrorist threats from you know, the Russian perspective. And so he is seen as doing a good job and being strong and being energetic and forceful. And um, Yeltsin makes him his prime minister. And he's, he's still an unknown. Right. And this is 99, um, 1999. And then Yeltsin's by this point, very old and ready to retire. And he retires and he names Putin acting president. And I was there. I was actually in uh, Russia on Red Square uh, celebrating New Year's. And when and Putin, you know, I could see the Kremlin and I knew because I'd heard Yeltsin give the speech earlier in the day that he had retired as president and Putin was, so I'm thinking to myself as I'm drinking champagne and the fireworks are going off, you know, Putin's in there and he's like, he's like, it's his first day of being president of Russia. It's just a phenomenal to think about, right? Who would have thought now here we are and he's still president, right? And except for a short little four year stint where he, stepped down and was prime minister for four years and Dmitry Medvedev became president. But basically he's been in control of uh, Russia for the last 22 years, right? But, you know, there, along the way, there was the, the annexation of Crimea in 2014, right? And, um, and then, you know, Ukraine, he's clearly, he, he, from his perspective, the U.S. has interfered and he blames the U.S. for creating the Orange Revolution that led to uh, a, a Russian, pro-Russian Viktor Yanukovych losing in an election. There was a re-election in the a very democratic Ukrainian president. Um, he was the third president of Ukraine, Yushinka. He was elected instead. And eventually, though, um, so Yanukovych ran again against Yushinka, and this time Yanukovych, uh, who was the pro-Russian candidate, he won. And so the, the polls seemed to have swung back to a, a, a Putin, closer to like a Putin balance, because he really wanted control over Ukraine. And um, another interesting, like important point is that uh, Yanukovych, this candidate who was pro-Russian, he's from the Donbass region, he's from Donetsk. Right, so he's from that one of the two Eastern Ukrainian republics now that's like um, Putin is claiming he needs to protect their independence and he needs to protect uh, 
Russian native speakers there, and he's using this as one of the justifications, right, to, to bring in the troops and invade Ukraine. And, you know, just so many factors going on with all this that's happening now. Um, in some ways, it's really all about Ukraine and its 30 year plus now independence and right to sovereignty and right to choose its own path. And that's why I think um, I'm pleased that the world is coming behind and supporting Vladimir Zelensky and he's just so brave. Um, it's hard for me because I, I love Russia. I absolutely love Russia. I love Russian culture. I teach all things about Russia, but this is just so wrong. I mean, this is, this is all, when Putin drew his line, his red line, he called it and said, you know, Ukraine is where I'm taking my stand. Ukraine can't be allowed to join NATO. And from his perspective, NATO really has mushroomed. And the Warsaw Pact no longer exists. It was uh, abolished in 1991. So, you know, Putin's argument is, and he's made it over and over again, we were told NATO wouldn't expand. We, we were given, they weren't ever um, legally, like we have no legal documents, but we were told this, we were promised this and by Western leaders, and this was the understanding. And, uh, and look what's happened, NATO has gone from 12 members when it was created to 30. And so, you know, Ukraine has made it very clear they want to be a NATO member as well, and they really want to be incorporated into, into Europe. And, you know, Putin's, he's made his last stand in some ways. And um, I think he made a really bad tactical error. He's totally violating Ukraine's sovereignty. He, his arguments are just so forced uh, in a lot of cases because he's, you know, on the one hand, he's saying, well, Ukraine doesn't have a right to, you know, Ukraine's really part of this greater Slavic nation where, you know, and, I, and he wants to keep it like under control and not, especially not allow it to join the Western powers and, and NATO, right? And on the other hand, he's brought troops and he's invading Ukraine, a sovereign state, and he's arguing one of his reasons is he's protecting the right of these two small states, Donetsk and Lugansk, to, to be independent. Your biggest concern right now? Is people, human lives. Yeah, it, the, the war has to stop. Bombing has to stop. Uh, Putin needs to be stopped. Uh, he hopefully will do it um, of his own will, realizing that he's totally blundered this. He's gone off the rails and that the, the, you know, the UN and the whole world community is condemning every, like, he's in the wrong, as no, very few countries are supporting him, even in, in the least, right? And he's, and, and hooray for that, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, there are people who are concerned about his mental state, even, right? Because uh, he, obviously, Russia is a nuclear power, uh, and I don't think it will come to that. I really don't. And most people, of course, don't. But he, he did make that threat, right? I mean... Do you think so, the U.S. is doing everything that it should be doing? Do you think the sanctions is enough? Do you think more needs to be done? And there's talk of U.S. troops as well going there. Uh, your thoughts on that? I don't think U.S. troops going there would be a wise idea. I do think more needs to be done, but it's such a hard 
right? It's a hard situation because uh, Putin has, another thing he's done, first, one of the first things he did is take over the mass media. He, you know, he, in 2000 already, he um, took over control of the main independent television station and made it into a state propaganda. Mm. And, you know, and, and even now with this, uh, with this war going on, He's, there are only a few independent sources of news even left in Russia that aren't state controlled, right? One of them is a radio station called Echo Moskvi. It's like one of my very favorite uh, sources of information from Russia and the people who work there are so brave. Um, he's blocking their broadcast and he's threatening them with legal, uh, you know, He's threatening to completely shut them down, but he, right now he's blocking their broadcast because they're actually using the term war. They're talking about the atrocities. They're saying, you know, they're showing footage. Um, another thing is he, to, to go to the show the extremes that he's going to, you know, they had a show about Ukrainian culture that they do regularly because, I mean, not all Russians, right, are like Putin. And that's another thing we need to remember. It's like, don't let this turn into the evil empire language again. Or like, you know, Russians are horrible. There's so many Russians that don't want this and they don't agree with Putin. But he's, a, he's arresting people and putting them in jail if they're like protesting the war. Or, and, you know, it's like he's really, he really has gone off the rails in this sense. He's just like this last ditch, you know, effort. But he does have still because of that manipulation of the mass media that's been going on in russia for years now i mean i've been i watch talk shows all the time and they have these conservative pro-russian anti-american anti-west um and of course anti-ukrainian at this point talk shows and they've been going on for eight years now and they're getting worse the rhetoric is you know the language the tone is worse and worse each time and but the thing is that there are a lot of people and that's their only source of, of of news and then you know there are a lot of russians who really do feel like uh, the collapse of the soviet union that the u.s wanted it to happen and the u.s wanted you know R russia to not be able to be a great nation again ever and so it's it's just uh, yeah i mean i don't want to talk I'm, i talk too much but it just oh, yeah. I, I do i mean yeah. this is this to me this is like this is my life. I mean, I've devoted my life to this. I, I do speak fluent Russian and I read in Russian probably more than I do in English. And I listen to, I watch TV and I talk with people and, you know, I've, I've spent many, many years in, in uh, first the Soviet Union as an exchange student. I was there when the Berlin Wall came down. And then, you know, I was there when the Soviet Union dissolved, right? I was, I watched on TV just like everybody else, Gorbachev make his speech. And, um, and I, you know, I, taught English there a number of years in St. Petersburg, um, Putin City, <laughs> and I actually was there when he was working his way up into the, you know, I, I don't know if this is ever true, but it's quite possible. I didn't know who he was at the time, but it's quite possible I went to some talk of his or something in the 90s because, you know, that was when he was in Petersburg, early 90s. Anyway, um, so, so I love Russia, it's, and it's so painful. It's so painful. I, I, and it's painful Obviously, it makes me, I, I do, I've, I've cried sometimes just because what Ukraine is being, you know, Ukrainians are being um, forced to endure. But I also cry because I'm ashamed because I do, I mean, I, I, I almost consider myself, I mean, I'm 
born in the U.S., but I've spent so much time in Russian-speaking areas, and I think in Russian, dream in Russian, and have so many friends. Um, I really almost, ha ha what is your identity, right, that question. I would say I'm half Russian, and I'm half American, and I don't have a problem with that. I'm proud. I, I, but right now, I'm not proud of what's happening. I, I, and so there are a lot of Russians who feel that way. Have you been in touch with colleagues and friends? And, and if so, what are they saying? Some, not as much as I wish I, I could. Um, but, um, you know, many of them think what's going on is horrible. And, you know, I have friends who, um, there was a, a organization called Memorial that was about victims of Stalinism. And they, every, they would have, they would, for instance, I mean, they, they, they basically the idea was we have to keep reminding people so this never happens again, the horrors of Stalinism, the great terror, right, all those millions of people who, who were killed. Um, and among those three to five million Ukrainians by a forced famine that was largely created by Stalin, and they call the Ukrainians refer to it as the Holodomor, uh, um, what was happening was Stalin was you know, requisitions of, of uh, grain and um, in Ukraine, and he was taking the grain and people were starving. It was already a, like bad weather famine anyway, but he was, he needed, he needed money so he could keep industrializing and then build weapons. And so he was taking Ukrainian confiscated grain and selling it abroad and using the money to industrialize. And meanwhile, Ukrainians were starving. Millions of Ukrainians starved to death. And so, you know, this is another thing Putin, he, he's so upset that, that Ukrainians speak about this and, you know, this is so important to them. Absolutely. That, that these victims be remembered, right? Mm -hmm. And Putin, it's, you know, he does not want to remember those periods in, in history or even in some cases recognize them, right? So how has all of this impacted your, your program, your teaching and your students? Um, we have fewer students who are taking Russian, which is sad, really. Um, part of it is the pandemic, right? Um, uh, I had, uh, so I've had years when I've had 20 students in my intermediate Russian class. And Russian's hard, so there's a quick, there's a higher attrition. Russian really does take a lot of dedication and it's more work than your average class for sure. Um, it's one of the harder languages to learn. Um, but we're really good here. We're very proud of our program. We've had whole, oh, so many students who've received really prestigious grants and fellowships and got into graduate schools with you know, full support guaranteed five-year support, um, some of the best, Berkeley, you know, some of the best grad programs. So we're really, really proud of our program. But I, I had, I was, you know, usually I average around 12 students in my intermediate, and that's a good, a good number. That's still higher than probably most universities of our size. But I had years when we had 20, right? And that was just like, we were just so fabulous. They were writing about us in, in, because we were doing so well. And, um, and they do, you know, our program really is recognized um, as one of the better undergraduate Russian programs, and we're really proud of it. But right now, our enrollments are down, so we want more students. You know, Russia, Russia's not getting any good news, but, and, you know, in some ways, rightly so, but at the same time, my gosh, we need people who 
can speak Russian. We need, you know, Russia is the largest country in the world. It's it's going to be you no, know, you know, even if Putin's gone, it's always going to be one of the most important countries. A guaranteed. It has so many resources, right? And no one could have ever predicted that the Russian economy and Russia would have recovered in such a dramatic fashion as it has after the collapse of the Soviet Union, right? I mean, it was just like, there was nothing in the stores. It was horrible. The ruble was worth nothing. And, you know, Western experts came in and they suggested shock therapy and that, and that had disastrous results. So that's also, you know, in the back of minds for, for some Russians that like bad advice from uh, Harvard think tank, you know, in uh, Columbia or uh, no, uh, University of Chicago. Uh, anyway, um, well, um, as we start to uh, close, sure. Uh, your, what do you want people to know the most about the the country, the people, the culture, and what's happening there? Well, um, so. Uh, <sighs> Keep, open, keep an open mind and keep an open heart and realize that there are so many Russians who hate what's going on and that's not the Russia that they want. And um, uh, for example, you know, we, we have a, a, a visiting um, uh, Russian Fulbright teacher from Moscow and she's working with our students in the first year program and she's just so amazing. She's such an amazing person and a great teacher and a lovely person. And she, she feels so bad about what's going on right now. And um, it's so unfair. And, um, you know, uh, we, in the U.S., remember, we went through the McCarthy era, right? With, uh, right? And we don't want that again. But please don't ever get to the point in the U U.S. where ru all Russians are bad or, like, you know, somehow this is the evil empire. This is, this is Putin. This is his... So much of this is his doing. It's you know you can't just say it's only Putin. He has many many people who are his like collaborators in some ways, right? Um, he has uh, yeah a whole network of people. But at the same time, you know, there's so many Russians that that love Americans. They love Europeans. They want to be part of Europe. They don't want what's going on right now. And mm -hmm. um, I guess, you know, each one of us has to try to work to make this world better and, and keep our minds and our hearts open. And um, right now, Ukraine needs our help more than anyone else. 